the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today, my beloved, is the fourth week of Pentecost. And as we know, the theme of today is that Christ is the light of the world. And he says here in John chapter 12, Walk while you have light, lest darkness overtake you. So, during this holy 50 days, the church is telling us that we ought to be walking in light, walking as if we are in heaven. Um, and in today's gospel, the Lord revealed to us a few criteria or a few characteristics of those who walk in light. If we were asked the question, what does it look like when the children of God or the children of the world walk in the light of God? So this is what we'll answer in just a few points this morning. So the title is, Those Who Walk in Light. So number one, those who walk in light are aware of the brevity of life. They understand life is short, right? Those who walk in light understand this. Look what the Lord said. He said, a little while longer, well, a little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The Lord here is referring here to his earthly ministry, right? He's saying he is the light of the world. Walk with me while the light is with you. Why is he saying this? Because one day I'll be crucified, be buried, and I'll rise and ascend to the Father, and you will see me no more physically. Right? So he says, walk in the light um, while I am still with you. In the same regard, my beloved, our life on this world is limited. It's limited. And it will it will end at one yani at one point. So the idea that the Lord is trying to get to us is that there is limited time for us to repent and to believe in God and follow after Him. Life is short. Time is short. He wants us to live with a sense of urgency. Nowadays, Yanni, like I feel like um, the way that society and technology and all of this, everything's at our fingertips. You know, now if somebody is Yanni wants to change the channel, is watching TV and wants to change the channel, and the remote's not working then it's a big deal. I get angry because the remote's not working. Meaning I have to walk to the TV and then come back to my seat. That's, that's a big deal, right? This this relaxation, it takes away from us the sense of urgency. Where I must work and I must work hard now before the time is past. And it's just like going on a trip. This sense of urgency and then at the sense of finality. There's a limit. It's going to end. Many of us around this time, we're going to go on vacation, whether it's to Egypt or any other place, we're going to go on vacation. And before we even go on vacation, we know that this trip will one day end. So although we're going on this trip with all the enthusiasm and excitement, but yet as we're leaving, we're, we're saying, uh, it's only going to be so much days, we've got to have as much fun as we can in these few days. So we always have in mind the end of the trip. And then when we get to the end of the trip, we always say, ah, it was too short. I wish it was longer, right? But because there's this expectation of it ending before we even begin. But we need to have the same sense of brevity of life. We're all on this trip together. And as we're going through it, we have to always keep in mind when this trip will end. When this trip will end. Many people say, uh, when we ask them why you're not coming to church and being involved in Sunday school and so on, it says, you know, when I, want, I have a lot going on in my life, I'm studying or I have my career I'm focused on, so I don't have much time. When I get a little older, I'll get closer to God. When I get a little older, the magbar, abayani, harab min rabbina. 
How do we know when we get older that we'll even want to get close to God? Ever thought about that? How do we know that when we get a little bit older that we would want to? Because what happens when I spend so much time away from God, the memory of God, the community with God, the love for God starts to go cold. So we're not even guaranteed that when I get a little older that this will even be a desire of mine. I may not want to. You know, if you think about like when the Lord Jesus, when he descended into Hades to free the righteous, sometimes you picture this yani, uh, picture where he went in and he opened the gates of Hades and snatched all the righteous people out and closed the door behind him. But if we think about like the Lord Jesus, we didn't see his ministry like this. But yet it was always an invitation and those who want to come with him come and those who don't, don't. So imagine if we apply the same on Hades. So he goes to Hades, he opens the gate, and those who want to come with him, come with him, and those who don't, stay. We would imagine to ourselves that everybody would go. Anything's better than Hades. But that's not the case. Some people prefer to be in misery, prefer to be you know, in sin, than to live a righteous and holy life. Right? So we don't know that when we get older, that this will even be a desire of mine. And if this was the real case, if everybody said, you know, when I get older, I get closer to God, that means out of the older people, everybody would be close to God. But the problem is, how do we identify who's older? Someone will say, I'm older. Even if I have 80 years old, I'm not going to say that I'm older. If I'm 80 years old, I might say I'm advanced, but I'm not going to say I'm older. List of shabab, I feel like I'm a shabab, I'm a youth, right? But where's the cutoff line? When is, when is older? 40, 50, 60, 80, retirement, or right before I go to the grave. What's older? A lot of, a lot of vagueness. So those who walk in light are aware of the brevity of life. <clears throat> Number two, those who walk in light know that darkness does not come from God. Look what he says here, and I'll explain it. He says, but although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him, that the word of Isaiah might be fulfilled which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should uh, understand with their hearts, and turn so that I should heal them. The part that's sometimes confusing when you read this is the part where uh, the Lord gives, you know, the interpretation or gives, he interjects. And this is in verse 39. He says, Therefore they could not believe because Isaiah said again. So he's saying here, is it, is it because Isaiah said this prophecy that this inhibited the people from believing? And he had, because Isaiah said this, they have no hope, these people, right, who didn't believe? No, it wasn't because Isaiah said this. Listen to what St. John Chrysostom says. He says, Here again, observe that the words because and spoke refer not to the cause of their unbelief, but to the event of their unbelief. For if it was not because Isaiah spoke that they did not believe, rather it was because they were not about to believe, which is why Isaiah spoke. So he wasn't, uh, you know, speaking, and then the people just listened to him, his words. No. If it was that case, then he would speak, and they would believe and repent. 
But he spoke because they, they would not believe. They would not believe. Therefore he prophesied about them knowing that they would not believe. Not because they um, believe or they refuse to believe. This is the same thing that St. James says. St. James, he says what? Let no one say when he is tempted, he is tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So what is the cause then of our straying? Is it because God ordained so? He says no. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So we make our own decision to be drawn away from God or to approach Him in repentance. This is up to us. It's not because Isaiah said, or God predestined us to be you know, condemned. For, for sure not. So then we can, this begs the question, why then does the Lord express the unbelief uh, proceeding from the prophecy? Why does He express it in such a way where the unbelief is coming from the prophecy? Should it not be the reverse? Again, St. John Chrysostom comments on this question. He says, He wants to establish by many proofs the unerring truth of Scripture and that what Isaiah foretold happened in no other way than what he would, uh, what he said would happen. So, he's, he says so that they know that what he is saying was a true prophecy. Not because he said or because he forced it, but because he, when he prophesied, then we know the prophecies he says are true. So then when you know the prophecies are true, then we believe the rest of the prophecies about the promises of God, the love of God, and so on. So, another question that some people might ask is, if God knew that Adam and Eve would eat from the fruit and sin and be separated from him, why would he allow him to do it? Why would he allow them to do it? So the same question falls in line with the same question about this prophecy, which came before the prophecy or the fulfillment. And I think the answer to this is that uh, he came uh, so we would have no excuse for our sin. So despite him knowing our choice, he created us knowing what we would choose, but giving us the free will to choose. So then we will reap whatever choice the reward of whatever choice that we make. For Adam and Eve, unfortunately, they chose to disobey. So then all of humanity, you know, we're living in this era of fallenness because of this disobedience. But are we going to be judged because of Adam and Eve or will we be judged based on my own actions and my own sins and my own repentance? No, I'll be judged by my own repentance, right? Everyone will be judged according to his or her deeds and his or her belief and their own actions not because of Adam and Eve or somebody else, right? Um, so, those who walk in light know that darkness doesn't come from God. God is, does not want to condemn us, but He wants to save us, as I will mention in a minute. <clears throat> so, those who walk in light, number three, do not are not governed by the opinions of others. Those who walk in light are not governed by the opinions of others. Look what the Lord says. He says, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. So these rulers whom he's referring to are those who are worse, worse slaves in that they are enslaved by the opinions of others. So whatever the people say is what I follow. 
Whatever my peers think of me, this is what will govern my life. If they think good of me because I lift weights or because I play a particular sport or I can sing really well or I have a particular talent, then I will do this because this is what pleases my peers. If my peers say to me that I'm too religious or I go to church too much or you spend too much time there, then I'll think to myself to decrease my church attendance, although I love being in church, because my peers think that this is uncool or this is something that, you know, I'm being too religious, right? So I stop. So this is the poor person who walks in darkness is the one who walks according to what the opinions of others. But the person who walks in light is not governed by the opinions of what uh, of others. <clears throat> Great example of this is our Daniel and the three youth. Daniel and the three youth were taken from Jerusalem, their hometown, away from their families, away from their native people, away from the temple, their place of worship, to a foreign land that worshipped idols. They gave them new pagan names and taught them the education of the pagans. Despite all of this type of trying to brainwash them, they still held fast. And when Daniel was asked to eat, drink the wine and to eat of the king's delicacies, what did he say? <clears throat> says Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies nor with the wine which he drank. <clears throat> so despite their attempts to brainwash, he didn't give in to it. He, didn't, he stayed strong. He purposed in his heart. There are many avenues by which the world is trying to brainwash us. Some avenues by the plead for justice. Everything is justice. Another, everything is free. You're free to do everything. So they brainwash you this way. Another way is by confusing ideologies. Another way is by causing doubt in what you believe and in the Christian faith. All of these things are meant to confuse you, and to draw you away, and to get you to stray. But here we have the example of Daniel and the three children. That Despite all of these attempts, and all of the onslaught of the media, and the peers that are perhaps around us, or our co-workers that are around us, they, we purpose, they purpose in our heart. And I wish we do the same. We purpose in our heart to do what Christ and the church direct us to do, regardless of the influence of those who are around us. Number three are those who walk in light, love the light, and those of the light. Those who walk in the light, love the light, and love everybody else who's walking in the light. <clears throat> Look what he says. And, he's, uh, and he who sees me has seen him who sent me. So he's telling them what? He who has seen me has seen him who sent me. Who's the one who sent the Lord Jesus? The Father, right? So he's saying, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Then he says, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. So if you like my light, that means you like the light of the Father. And if you like the light of the Father and the light of the Son, then you abide with me and the Father. Basically what he's saying. So if you like, if a person is a son of light or a child of light, then I like the light of Christ, the light of the Father, and those who walk in this way. I don't have this mixture where I like the light of Christ while I'm here with my church friends, but when I'm at work, I can say bad jokes I can enjoy their kind of company and the cursing and all of this stuff. I enjoy this kind of things. There's no mixture between light and darkness, my beloved. But the child who really walking in light likes the light and despises the darkness. 
Look what the, the, uh, the Psalm 15, and this we pray, by the way, in the first hour of the Gbeah every morning to remind us of this. Look what uh, the psalmist says. He says, Lord, who shall abide in your tabernacle? Same kind of question. Who walks in light? Who are those who live in heaven? Those who abide in your tabernacle. Who may dwell in your holy hill? And in verse 4 he says, In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. So to the person who lives in heaven and walks in light, he says what? The eyes of a vile person is despised. So when I see a person who is vile, I despise it. I'm repulsed by wickedness, evil, sin, cursing, bad, you know, types of things. This doesn't sit well with me. But if I enjoy these things, I really need to question whether I'm walking in light or not. And then on the flip side, it says, but he honors those who fear the Lord. So I feel like I'm attracted to those who fear God. I enjoy being in their company. I enjoy being with friends who actually can talk about God, who can have a serious conversation. Everything's not a joke. But I can have a serious conversation. I can have a deep conversation about God and the hereafter. Those who walk in light understand that the light for Christ came to save the world and not to condemn it. This is what the Lord said. He says, For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Some believe, my beloved, that God came <clears throat> uh, to condemn the world. God is waiting for me to make a mistake so he can punish me for my mistake. As if we have this idea that for every wrongdoing, there must be an equivalent punishment. For every wrongdoing, there must be an equivalent punishment. Perhaps this is because maybe how I was raised. And he, I was not, nothing, I was dealt with no mercy. So I grew up to think that God is the same without mercy. That for every wrongdoing, there must be an equivalent punishment. But this is not, this is not the case, right? We see this in many examples. We see this in the woman who was caught in adultery. They wanted to condemn her and the people wanted to stone her. And according to the law of Moses, she should have been stoned. But the Lord, what did he do? He had the people who were going to stone her look at themselves. And she had, he had her look in herself. And he said, after he says, where are those who condemn you? And she says, I don't see them. And he says, go and sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. Right? So go and sin no more. He didn't, you know, say that she didn't sin, but he told her to go and don't do what she was doing. This was mercy. Right? He dealt with her with mercy. The Samaritan woman, she had five husbands. The one she was with wasn't her husband. She was an unlawful relationship. But he didn't condemn her. He dealt with her with mercy and saved her and made her an evangelist. There's a time, my beloved, for judgment and condemnation. And there's a time for mercy and forgiveness. Right? And now is the time for mercy and the time uh, um, for uh, forgiveness. The time of judgment will come. Right? And the time of punishment will come. But it's not now. Now is the time of mercy, repentance, and forgiveness, and coming back to God. Even with Judas, my beloved, even with Judas, if you pay attention during the Passion Week when we were reading the readings in Matthew 26, let me read this part for you. This was during the Last Supper, during Covenant Thursday. He says, Now his betrayer had, uh, had given them a sign saying, Whoever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him. Immediately he went up to uh, Jesus and said, so again they're in the garden, and now he's going to identify to the soldiers who the Lord is. 
He says, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Friend. Friend. He knows exactly what he's doing. And he warmed in with, warned him a few hours later and said, What you do, go do quickly. He knew exactly what was happening. But when he met him, he said to him, Friend. Friend. What have you come for? Why have you come? Some say that the Lord was sarcastic. I don't think so. The Lord never dealt, never was sarcastic when he taught, right? He, did, he said what he meant and he meant what he said. He didn't need for any sarcasm. But it was, I think, Judas who was pretending to, to have a deep relationship with the Lord. And if we'll notice during this last uh, day, Judas doesn't refer to the Lord as Lord, as the rest of the disciples. He always refers to him as rabbi. Perhaps because he believed that he was just a great teacher, despite everything that he saw. He thought he was still just a rabbi. But he always referred to him as rabbi and not Lord like the other disciples. And Jesus' response was his devastating love. He called him friend while he kissed him to betray him. While the soldiers came and took him. And this shows again to Judas that in the midst of his sin, in the midst of him denying him, was the Lord, did the Lord want to condemn him? No, he called him friend. He desired his repentance, just like Peter. And this is like what pierced Judas's heart. So, we saw that those who walk in light, my beloved, they're aware of five things, or they understand five things. Number one, that the life is short, the brevity of life. Number two, is that they know that darkness doesn't come from God, but it comes from the enemy, right? Christ is the source of life and the sword of all uh, light. Um, are not the number three? Those who walk in light are not governed by the opinions of others. Number four: those who walk in light love the light and those of the light. And lastly, those who walk in light understand that the light of Christ came to save the world and not to condemn the world. It's our prayer and my prayer that us all, myself being the first, uh, and to walk in this light to consider if there's any darkness in my life, if I'm walking in darkness in some point of my life, to change, right? To change from today, to become children of light and to walk in His light. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.